This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing the best of my Times Radio shows. Politics without the boring bits. You can listen live on Times Radio, on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or download the Times Radio app, Monday to Friday, 10 till 1. Uh, but you're here for the best bits, which is what we've got for you. Coming up today, it's politicians versus officials. We've heard an awful lot about the civil service and how they didn't get on with spads, who don't get on with politicians and ministers. But whose fault is all of that? Former Foreign Office top official Simon McDonald basically blames Boris Johnson because, I mean, as we know, he's to blame for everything. Uh, but we're going to try to get to the bottom of whose fault is it really? It is there any way of getting the genie back in the bottle? So that's coming up in just a moment. But first, it's Wednesday, so it must be... The Columnists with Ali Burt, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. Yes, and they're both here. They're both here. Hello, Alice. Morning. And hello, Robert. Hi, Matt. You both well? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah. Lovely, good. Um, do we to start with the, the King speech? I mean, there's all pictures of the King all over most of the papers today. Uh, somebody said he, he looked like a, a purple quality street in some of the pictures. Oh, he doesn't. Uh, it's yeah. all done up. And, yeah, yeah, everyone's favourite, the one with the hazelnut. Mm. Yeah. Well, everyone's saying he doesn't like dressing up, but I think he probably quite enjoys it. He does like. Well, it's he's a bit late in the day for that. Yeah, he that's been his job for the he last. Sh- he should have had a, a had a different conversation with the careers advisors. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't yeah. what yeah. he wanted. And actually, that crown's quite heavy, so I think you know. He had to practice that for quite a bit, so he yeah. wants to show he can do it. He did look miserable at his coronation, but I think he was trying to look sort of serious, wasn't he? But yeah. he ended up looking a bit dejected. A bit dejected. It's very yeah. difficult, though, to pull off the... Yes, it will, yeah. You know, you're always smiling. Yeah. But you don't also want to look like you're really bored no. by the whole thing. Um, what about, is it actually Rishi Sunak's fault? Is it because what was in it was a bit thin, not very exciting? Has Rishi Sunak run out of energy already, Alice? <laughs> Well, I wrote my column today on this because yeah. having talked to various people around him and some of his ministers, they think that he has already packed his wheelie and put it mm. at the front door of Downing Street and that he is getting ready to leave and that may be why he's been looking around and talking to Elon Musk um, and that he may want to go back to California where he has a house and be one of the tech bros. Um, and there was a sense of that, that he was just tidying up things, that he was looking around. None of them really... 
I mean, he talked about you know wanting to throw everything into the future and wanting to be long term, but none of the things that he suggested in the King's speech mm. were at all long term, apart from smoking. And there was nothing really major. There was nothing on, say, social care. That's a really important issue. That the NHS, yeah. very little in education apart mm. from his baccalaureate, and everything that he'd done on crime and punishment felt very old-fashioned and sort of lock them up rather than addressing the critical situation in prisons is which there are too many people in prison at the moment. Yeah, I think there's only 15 bills or something you were 20, saying. Yeah, 20. It's and the fewest for 10 years, yeah. isn't it? But I mean, one them, one some of them are so narrow. One of them's about rickshaws in Westminster. Yes. And, I mean, that's a bit Cone's hotline, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's a government running out and of there's steam. A, you know, and there's a single bill on the football regulators. There's a single bill on pedicabs. Yeah. There was this sort of slight sense that... Like, no, 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 don't put it, don't put it in yeah. that bill. We'll do we can call that another yeah. bill because yeah, and that, um... Alice said it very well. It's like a, sna- it's a load of snagging jobs after nine. You think you know the, the kitchen's built and there's yeah. a couple of handles that need tightening up or whatever, yeah. and, or in a, in a washer, loose washer or something. And that's yeah, except the kitchen isn't built, is it? Yeah, I mean, is actually, it? we might want to sell the house and move on. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it sort of struck me because we've we've talked uh, before. Uh, Daniel Finkelstein's got you know has this theory. There are basically three types of elections: there's a change mm-hmm. election, mm-hmm. there's the we're on the right track, don't turn back election, and there's the better the better, better w, the, Yeah. And Rishi Sunak, I mean, I counted him up this morning. He he mentioned change fourteen times in the comments yesterday, and he tried for that in his speech he, a month the ago. Same thing, really, yeah. change, change, change. We are the change. We are the change. And actually, you know, you'd think we're on the right track, don't turn back, is a better, you know, because it's so unconvincing that he can be the change candidate because he doesn't seem yeah. able or willing to dump on Rishi Sunak, um, yeah. uh, Boris Johnson, and yeah. just the same way. But in order to do you on the right track, don't turn back, you need a track. And you just yeah. thought, actually, at this point, if that's what, you know, if that's what you actually want, maybe it is a change thing as well. Yeah. Put massive ideas in this Queen's speech. Just bog them all in. Let there be a row about how he hasn't got time to get them through. Yeah. Like major reforms of hospitals and schools. Yeah. Whatever. And that's what he was going for a month ago. He was the guy who was prepared to take the yeah. big decisions, like with HS2. And that seems to have gone. Like, he could have made something, he could have done something on planning. He didn't make nothing on planning. Yeah. Which is, I mean, big, massive issue. But basically just put your, bung, your manifesto yeah. in this. And everyone would have been yeah. up in arms. Everyone would have been up in arms. But he would have you can't still... get it through, you can't get it through. And that's what the old thing was. It was just yeah. too ambitious. But he would have got credit for it. And then you oh. think that's what you'd do if you've only got one. I mean, this is his one King speech, yeah. quite possibly. You'd have put everything yeah. in it that you really cared about and you passionate about actually if you're only caring about children smoking that seems incredibly narrow all about rickshaws it's 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 so petty in a way and that's it, the problem it's sort of, it? it's sometimes when someone says or does something which inadvertently gives the game away yeah or what they don't do it's, yeah. the, it's the behavior yeah. of someone who knows that he's yeah. not going to be yes. there for very long yeah whereas if you really were someone who was in it for the long term yeah you'd you'd have a whole load of things that need two three four years yeah. to to bend yeah. in it does feel very different from just a month ago in uh, yeah. wherever it was, Manchester. Yeah, when he did look like he was, the, you know, he was he was pitching and possibly even was the guy prepared to make unpopular long-term decisions yeah. on all this stuff that we know needs doing. But, he also uh, but that just seems to have gone. Yeah, he, what I find is that he loves giving money away. So he was quite good mm-hmm. as a Chancellor during COVID at giving stuff away. He likes being generous. He likes being liked. And that is just not the kind of Prime Minister you need at the moment. So you know, he was very good with HS2 at saying, we're not going to do it, but don't worry, we'll put all the money into all these other programmes. And yeah. that's when he lights up, is when he's giving stuff away, when he's like sort of Father Christmas. And I think that's a problem for him because at the moment he's not that, you know, he's got to be tougher. He's got to come up with some really difficult decisions and he's not doing that. Um, I mean, I suppose it's just the problem is that if he goes into an election, say, 
you know, you can't let Labour in. They might not regulate pedicabs in London. Yeah. yeah. I thought you'd actually said pedicures, and I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> There's a whole issue going that, on when I was thinking probably more why. Impl- that's probably more important, mm. actually. It is, because you have all that sort of slave trade issue. Slave trade, yeah. human trafficking. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and they were cash, uh, what do you call it, laundering. Cash laundering, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, oh, yeah. There were so many barbers shops. And I'm not saying yeah. that, I'm not obviously in any way suggesting no, that no, any no. of the barber shops in my town are involved in money laundering. No. But if you were in the money laundering business, it might end up yeah. looking like the town that I live in. Well, whenever you, whenever I go there, they send me up north to do Red Wall stuff, which they do quite regularly, uh, they being the news desk. As the token northerner. As the token northerner. When, was uh, it, when, 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 did you, when did you last live in Hull? Uh, in 1986. Perfect. Yeah, because... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but my papers are in order to get to, yeah, exactly. to, yeah, to go north. Yeah. Uh, what you see on the high street is you see charity shops, betting shops, a pub and a nail bar. Yeah. Yeah. So, there. Draw your own conclusions. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yes, you're right. He, he's not exactly... He's not sort of... Uh, clear blue water between him and no. Labour, is it? I mean, I thought, I thought we'd get more of that. Because we thought we were going to... I mean, we got that with the crime, I suppose. Mm. But I can't, see, uh, I can't see a great deal else. But you have to sort of portray the idea that the opposition, you know, the country won't be safe in the... You know, it yes. needs to be scary. Yeah. You know, and then they put, like, William Hague in the uh, Margaret Thatcher's yeah. hair and all that. Yeah. You know, new Labour, new danger. It has to be that it's really yeah. scary. And they would put in yeah. threat all this good stuff And you think, doing. given the st- way the stats have been moving uh, in terms of inflation and so forth and interest rates and the way that they will be moving this time next year... That's you'd think Sunak's best bet was we're on we're on the right track because and it kind of fits with his personality yeah, as well, yeah. doesn't it? You know, he's a sensible guy. He was ex chancellor. Yeah. Uh, f- f- economic things moving in the right yeah. direction, even though it's n- not a great deal to do with him. Then you you think that's what they go yeah. for, but maybe they, yeah, maybe Alice is right. Maybe he just doesn't he just, care. Yeah, just also, doesn't... I think there's that sense um, with Rishi Sunak that that you've got this COVID inquiry going on, and it's um, I think it's rattled him to a certain extent because he did like being the good guy during the COVID mm. um, time, and I think he isn't. I mean, it looks now like increasingly eat out to help out was not the best idea, mm. and, and, and he spent Dr. a lot Death. of that and Doctor Death, and yeah. and and actually furlough wasn't you know in the end didn't work that well, and there was a lot of people who were taking advantage of it, and um, and so I think actually now his great moment may have been actually a time when we're not going to realise wasn't yeah but also a lot of that is that the fact he won't he would be interested what happens when he ends up with the code inquiry he won't defend that you know actually Mm. the fact that unemployment has remained really low Mm. during all of this whole period and coming out of covid all that is because the government staged a major intervention but he's now so embarrassed about it yeah he doesn't want to take credit for the Mm. fact we haven't got millions of people out of work because their businesses went bust during the pandemic so we won't even take it would be a shame, wouldn't it? I mean, we got into this cycle of prime ministers becoming get, getting to the top very much more quickly than they used to, and then leaving. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't say this is all of them, but some of them, you're kind of losing a lot of expertise. I mean, they instantly they go and they would cease to be MPs, cease to have anything to do with the public life for the yeah. country, and go and enrich themselves, which. Sunak doesn't need to do. Which actually, yeah, yeah. And uh, Nick Clegg is the obvious example. Yeah. So the Nick Clegg is now very high up in Meta. He's one of the yeah. top three. He's going to be making an absolute fortune. And, you know, he's based in America and he doesn't really care about Britain anymore, but yeah. he has got quite a lot of expertise yeah, that he yeah. had as Deputy Prime Minister. And actually, Quite. The fact that, the fact that Theresa, you know, 
many things I've said about Theresa May. The fact she's still in the Commons is marks her out. So yes, she does. Yeah. yeah, to her credit, and yeah, and John Major similarly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not in the Commons, but he's he's still a, a, a figure, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let's move on because uh, something else that came out of the debate uh, yesterday works. We've talked about jokes and whether or not the jokes we can still tell are the jokes. We oh, can't. the ice cream uh, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I hear you've nicked that basically. Have you been? I hear you've been trading on my ice cream joke. Quite I a think lot. I always credit you. Oh, do you? Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. But that's right, norm then. I normally decide whether or not to credit it to you afterwards, just to see how right. it lands. <laughs> right. So, okay. Oh, yeah, no, actually, that's what Robert Crabbe yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Robert Goodwill, Sir Robert Goodwill, yeah. uh, was, was one of the, the MPs proposing the, uh, mm. the King's Speech yesterday, and he had, he had a couple of decent jokes. Let's take, a yeah. listen, let's take a listen to I was the victim of a fly poster campaign. All over town, there were A4 photocopies asking the question, what is the difference between Robert Goodwill and a supermarket trolley? The local newspaper picked up on this and concluded that a supermarket trolley has a mind of its own. <laughs> I must admit that I've never voted against the Tory whip, so that might explain it. However, having been here a while, I can now reveal the real answer to the question. The difference between an MP and a supermarket trolley is that there is a physical limit to the amount of food and drink you can get into a supermarket. It's <laughs> a great guy. It's a good go. Yeah. Yeah. They both were. I was talking to uh, another Tory MP last night who said that they congratulated Robert Goodwill on him. The best speech he'd ever given, which is <laughs> he's about to stand out. It's very unfortunate. Uh, and also questioned who'd written it for him because it was... I was reading it on the bus and I was actually chuckling on yeah, the back of the bus. Was I mean, really good jokes. Yeah. But also because it's true. So that's the, the, the yeah, thing yeah, with that yeah. joke, isn't it? They have to have an element of truth in it. And, and we know how much they're drinking. And yeah. in the House of Commons, there's a sort of like, the, the you know, it's a good way of getting a joke. Yeah. If you can make a joke about to your about your audience, essentially. And also the self-deprecation in the first joke. And we we love yeah. a bit. We love that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's British humour, It isn't sort of it? buys him the credit there. Yeah. Oh, we've just laughed yeah. at you, so we've got to yeah. laugh at ourselves. But then, so there we are talking about drink, boozing and pop... Uh, politicians and all that. And then on the front of the Times, British women are the joint heaviest binge drinkers in the world. And I just wondered whether, is it is, is part of the reason why we have this drink? Because we just sort of joke about it all the time. And you, know, you can go into shops and buy signs that say Prosecco o'clock and, mm. and all, you know, life begins with gin and all that business. Um, is, it, is that part of why we have an alcohol problem in this country, do you think, Alice? Well, I'm always really interested when they say that the young don't drink anymore because mm. I think girls binge drink quite a lot between the age of about 16 and 25. I mean, I, I, I mean not just talking about my daughter, obviously, because she won't want me to back. <laughs> 16 and 25, you say? <laughs> Looking at their friends, they do drink quite a bit. And actually, I think it is quite a British problem. And, and you know, I think but in is other it a countries... Problem because we, do we joke about it because it's a problem or is it a problem because we joke about it? Yeah, that's interesting. What's cause and effect, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think yeah. we probably... We joke about it because the the, uh, the drinking comes first, yeah. and the jokes come on the top on top of that. Because if we they, those jokes wouldn't work if we were all sober, yeah. Uh, but if you're a bit I, of a lad as a girl, then you do end up drinking mm. more quite often. That's the thing. It's a kind of it's a way of relaxing yeah. with the boys. It's, it definitely feels like you're keeping up, and actually most of us are slightly smaller than the men, so that you're you know way over quite quickly. And Robert and I have both pretty much given up, so we're kind of. Oh, yes, Whereas, Abstemious. I have to say, the uh, the young people who work on this show, they have no problem drinking. I can exclusively reveal. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm looking towards the... Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're, they're waving, waving at us now, us. yeah. I'm not sure if anyone counts as a young person. 
Well, there are. <laughs> we were just saying that actually there's a kind of divide between the real drinkers and the non at all. So I yeah. went to the yeah, Sunday yeah, Times yeah, yeah. 50th anniversary of their wine club on Monday night. Oh, did you? I couldn't go to it. Oh, I, was it good? It I, was great. And I wasn't I, invited. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't invited. We had so <laughs> many glasses by the end and I felt slightly embarrassed because yeah. they were like, I was. they were just lined up glass after glass. Yeah, and I, some of them could drink every single glass. Yeah. I was really impressed. We yeah, I think it's real. Lot. Amongst our generation, there is a, uh, that is my analysis and not yours, Matt. You're obviously yeah. different generation uh, there's a polarisation I yeah. know a lot of people who drink way too much and I used to be one of them and there's a lot of people like me who, who gave no, up yeah. yeah because the sort of moderation option wasn't didn't feel it was really available they kind of tried it and it didn't sort of and didn't, sort of didn't work yeah, out yeah, yeah. so it's easier to stop uh, is there I mean it is an issue you see the we, we the serious point I suppose we see these uh, and it's always sort of women who kind of get slam for this because it's some there's some sort of sexist thing about late, yeah. whether ladylike behavior but seeing crowds of people absolutely paralytic in the street uh you know on friday and saturday night uh it's not a great look it's not a great look and uh you think well that's sort of you know kind of excusable once twice when you're young or whatever but if it's happened if people are doing that all the time then that's it becomes a becomes an issue yeah but i'd like to make clear it's been a while so i've been sick in a bin on a train station or something like that <laughs> Yeah, all that, yeah. A couple of years, do you reckon? But I think it's unfair on women. I mean, I don't know where the men stand in these, in these statistics. I think, uh, I think was it, men were, were higher than most other countries, but not as high as the women in the UK. I think. Who are well, we yeah, but, joint with? Matched only by those in Denmark. Right. 26%. More than twice the global average of 12%. But the definition... See, that's weird. I mean, you, you could see that as a sign of sort of female, li- greater female liberation, if you, uh, Denmark being a fairly yeah. uh, egalitarian sort of place. to do with the weather. Yeah. Gloomy evenings, you know. And then we get, oh, then the opposite happens. The sun comes out and we get so overexcited. There's basically yeah. an excuse. There's a constant excuse, for, the, excuse. For, the, yeah. for, the, for drinking. So the sun's out, so we've got to go to the beer garden. Yeah. Ooh, stay in a nice cosy pub. Like, so much of our idea of fun is tied up yeah. with but also I think alcohol. you're really right that sense now that we never used to have that if you're a young mum that you should be drinking that almost it's like the only way you're going to get through having kids yeah. is to have a drink at like four, five, six oh. o'clock right? you know, around yeah. bath time and and actually that when I had my children a little it was really frowned on I remember thinking yeah. Mm, yeah, 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 quite yeah. awkward if you, you know if you, you'd, if you said to your friends are actually yeah, yeah, I started yeah. drinking at five. That wouldn't well, be funny like, then. Yeah. Websites and books and things all dedicated to basically drinking gin. Is, mm. anyway. Now, MPs have been bunking off, apparently. Uh, there's some new uh, research out which shows just how little time they're spending in the House of Commons. Now, yes, I know some of you are going to tell me they're in the constituencies and so on. But if they keep finishing early, they can't go anywhere. They can't go back to their constituencies. Uh, and Matthew Holhouse from The Economist has been looking at this. Uh, Matthew, take us through the stats. Hi, Matt. Good to see you. Yeah, so, I mean, this is data from the Labour Party that basically shows that uh, Parliament broke up before its uh, end of end of the day, basically, before the, the school bell went uh, 47% of the time in the most recent session. Uh, but this sort of fits with some research that I've been doing, basically looking at the amount of time that Parliament has been sitting over long-term trends. So if you go back uh, 35 years or so to 1988, Parliament sat for 173 days of the year. Last year, that was 147 days. So they've lost mm. nearly a month. In terms of the sitting day, back in the 1980s, they would routinely sit uh, more than nine hours. So on average, in 88, they sat for nine hours and four minutes. Last year, it was seven hours and 37 minutes. So it, it's simply a, you know, a matter of record. 
that the parliamentary day has got shorter and there are fewer parliamentary days in the year. Now, my argument isn't that MPs actually are, are getting lazier. Um, my argument is that they're simply spending less time on what I would argue is their core job, which is scrutinizing legislation. This is because uh, I, you know, constituency caseworkers piled up, the pressures to be doing other things have piled up. If you actually look at how the parliamentary day is used, it's also being used very, very differently. So uh, 20 years ago, about 40% of the time on the House of Commons chamber floor was spent on government legislation. In the last session, it was 20%. Wow. So really, really, we see this transition of, of Parliament from being a, a uh, legis legislative um, chamber to a debating chamber. So yeah, there's a lot more urgent questions, a lot more backbench business, a lot more focus on things like Westminster Hall debates. Uh, and really, this fits with the transition, I would argue, of MPs being elected uh, not as legislators, but as super councillors. So <laughs> huge premium, Alice, huge you... premium now. You've got to be local candidates. Yeah, 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 yeah. You sort of glorify social work. Thing. Alice, is it a problem? Because mm. part of it, some people would think we don't need any more laws. We don't, you know, mm. it's not, it shouldn't be a measure of success. But on the other hand, you'd only say that really if the country was in a great place. Mm. Well, yeah, that's the problem. And also, post-Brexit, we have got quite a lot we need to get through because we need to sort out so many different things. And I think the fact they're not sitting is quite depressing actually and the fact that you get a month more off so uh, what i think that a lot of them are doing is actually going off and doing other stuff and other jobs and that's what worries me is that they're not focusing on what they should be doing can i jump in there as well yeah. so um vitally it's it's not that we're having fewer laws the number of actual acts is the same as it's been for 30 years uh, or so okay. the pages of laws we've got more and more pages of legislation than we've ever had You've got Brexit, you've got really, really, you know, so naughty regulatory regimes. Um, it's they're simply spending less time looking. So it's just going through on the nod. Yeah. yeah. Going through on the nod. Yeah. And they're so basically not doing and their then job. discovering it hasn't worked. So yeah. they have to do it again and do it again and do it again. Well, that is serious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the basis of democracy, actually, isn't it? Well, we're going to have to end yeah. it there on that cheerful note. Uh, the very <laughs> basis of democracy is under threat. Thank you for that, Matthew. Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, Matt Holhouse there from The Economist and Alice Thompson and Robert Crabbe. Have you ever bunked off? Yeah, when I when I did less interesting jobs than I do now. Yeah, as but much as possible. You, you, can't, you can't bunk off now, can you? Wherever uh, no, you are no, in the no. world, you can yeah. be cabaled yeah. into writing. Yes, again. everything that happens yeah. to me I write about. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton there. Of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. And when you have got a subscription, you can listen to bonus episodes of the Red Box podcast every week. Just link your Apple account to your subscription. And if you can't get enough of me in your ears, don't forget to head over to How to Win an Election. Peter Manderson, Danny Finkelstein and Polly McKenzie this week asking how to win at policy. So we talk about how you put a policy together uh, and whether or not the public notice. We also talk about how Danny uh, once borrowed some parliamentary robes, the ermine that Piers wear in the House of Commons. Somebody thought it was a Father Christmas costume. And uh, Peter gets very cross when I remind him of when uh, someone dressed as a monkey won uh, an election in Hartlepool where he was MP. Uh, anyway, head over to How to Win Election wherever you're listening to this, but not until you've listened to Ministers versus Officials. That's next on the Redbox Podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast. Now it's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Now, there's been a huge debate around uh, the relationship between politicians and civil servants, special advisors and civil servants, the relationship between the independent officials and their political masters. But I've been speaking to Simon MacDonald, Lord, now Lord MacDonald, who was the head official in the Foreign Office from 2015 to 2020. He went on to play a key role in the demise of Boris Johnson by claiming the government had lied about not knowing about allegations of misconduct against the Tory MP Chris Pincher. Simon MacDonald came on this show and told us that he'd raise the alarm about all of that. Well, uh, Lord MacDonald also caused a stir when he revealed to Laura Coonsberg for a BBC documentary that he told colleagues that he voted to remain during the EU referendum the day after the result had uh, happened, breaching, apparently, civil service impartiality rules. Uh, This uh, story was then put to Helen McNamara, who, you'll remember, is the former Deputy Cabinet Secretary. Simon MacDonald has told us on the record that he told his colleagues and ministers that he voted Remain. Wow. OK. That's, that's, that is genuinely surprising. Why? Um, why is it surprising? Because to be so explicit about what you personally, how you personally had voted, and I don't know why, I don't know why that would be a good or helpful thing. So, uh, when I spoke to Lord MacDonald, I asked him for his response to that criticism. I'm a big fan of Laura's, but the way it was presented to Helen was Simon McDonald's going around telling everybody he was a Remainer. That indeed would have been extraordinary. What Simon McDonald did was in one meeting, on one very dramatic moment, in order to empathise with the team and orient the team in a new direction, I told them how I had voted in order to emphasise that this was professionally irrelevant. Our new job was getting the best possible deal for the United Kingdom as we left. This was something that people needed to get their head around very quickly. I was saying it applied to me and I was doing it and I expected them to do it too. If Laura had presented all of that to Helen, I think Helen's reaction would have been different. Do you regret doing it? No. Do you think that the civil service showered itself in glory during that period? A couple of things. One reason I said what I said was that I knew that all the Brexiteers assumed that the top of the civil service were 
pro-EU. You know, the, every comment, every concept exuded this. So I thought I will own this and embrace it because professionally this is irrelevant. So what we did in the Foreign Office and across Whitehall for the next five years was negotiate as hard as we could to get as good a deal as we could. Uh, the fact that it's not perfect, I think, is a demonstration of how difficult the situation was, not how awful the negotiators were. Just zooming out a little bit, and clearly there's been a lot of discussion about the relationship between the elected politicians their political advisers and the, the civil service. Is it a problem that you're here having this conversation with me, that you did that documentary with uh, Laura Koonsberg, that actually we've got former civil servants being dragged th you know, through the public inquiry, that the whole point of the civil service is you are supposed to be faceless bureaucrats and actually re-prosecuting all these arguments in public so soon after being in office actually reinforces yeah, yeah. the worst things that your critics think of you. I, I see your point completely, but a couple of key issues. One is that I am retired and I am now a member of the legislature. That is a platform. I think it is legitimate for members of the House of Lords to speak in public. Second, more important to me, is in the old days, there was a bargain between the political level and the civil servants. That The civil servants were in the background, they were anonymous, they weren't named, they weren't habitually thrown under the bus. That changed in the second half of my career, and I think you can link that to the appearance of and the rise of special advisers. And their constant briefing of the media, including against civil servants who remain anonymous. You know, this is part of the, the scene to this day, that if you are a civil servant, a serving civil servant, you cannot appear in public or else you can lose your job. And that feels to me kind of weighted towards one side. It makes the civil servants more of a, a, a sitting duck target. So somebody uh, has to speak on behalf of the civil servants and retired civil servants, I think are best placed to do that. When do you think that change happened? I mean, I've been covering politics properly for 15, 16, 17, 18 years. Where was the point where that bargain was broken? It was gradual. I joined the civil service in 1982, and I remember the appointment of the first SPADs under Margaret Thatcher. It was about 1983, one or two per ministry, as people to help the minister, generally with parliamentary relations, generally with the party, all fine. It grew quite slowly. There was a big step forward under Tony Blair, and then there was an even bigger change when... Boris Johnson came into number 10. Are the criticisms of the civil service, this sense that, you know, I've had the conversation so many times, a minister leaves a department and all the ideas that have been thrown back by that minister then get placed on the desk of the new minister. Or a, an idea that a minister has that the department doesn't really like, so it sort of disappears off into a, the very, very long grass. Are you both culpable I think, yes, I will never claim that the civil service is perfect, but I think the civil service is good. I think it's one of the institutions that distinguishes the United Kingdom, and I think it served the United Kingdom pretty well since the middle of the 19th century. But a big problem right now, a problem that has gained pace, is the speed of change 
at the top political level. I mean, when you have five education secretaries in one year, it's kind of legitimate for the civil servants to wonder, well, how long is the new one going to last? Everybody is sort of finding their feet uh, on both sides. So the civil servants are wondering, how long is this person going to be there? And the ministers themselves are in a tearing hurry because they may only have a few weeks. I just want to ask you about your time then in government towards the end, which does overlap with some of the period of the COVID inquiry has been looking at. And this macho, foul-mouthed, bullying, toxic WhatsApp culture, were you aware of that, conscious of that? Dimly conscious. I thought, yes, I was conscious. But when I've seen everything laid out, it's it's staggering. Uh, one of the things that completely amazes me is, is uh, Mr Cummings presenting himself as an outsider, as an observer to this scene. He was a central player and he was destroying the structures and undermining the people around him. And now he's turning around and saying, you know, it's a, what, what a mess. And, you know, I was the one identifying the mess. And if only people had listened to me, it wouldn't have been so bad. He was causing more problems than anybody else. Simon MacDonald there, uh, lifting the lid on the relationship between civil servants and politicians. And his his feeling is the politicians who broke the pact, which is why civil servants keep speaking out. Well, Lord Sedwell, the former head of the civil service, has been giving evidence of the COVID inquiry today. Here he is uh, talking about the government, uh, when the government decided to convene the COBRA Emergency Committee during the pandemic. There had been a a, a practice or a habit, I think, probably, um, which had stretched back several years of COBRAs being convened for communications purposes rather than primarily to make decisions that couldn't be made elsewhere. I was confident uh, this was a health issue. I was confident that with a very experienced team there, they had all the authority they needed in order to be able to make the substantive decisions. And I felt that a COBRA, which might have been convened primarily for communications purposes, um, wasn't wise. So the suggestion there, the ministers, including Matt Hancock, uh, wants to make a big splash by convening COBRA rather than because it was the best way to run the country. Well, let's try and get to the the meat of the relationship between civil servants and their political masters. Jill Rutter is a senior fellow at the Institute for Governments. It's about a long time in the civil service, including in the Treasury, Number 10 and the Department for Environment. Hi, Jill. Hi, I'm Matt. And Hugh Bennett was a special advisor to Boris Johnson and Liz Truss. Let's start with you, you, Hugh. According to Simon MacDonald, it's all your fault. It's the Spads, it's Boris Johnson, it's Liz Truss. You broke the pact by briefing against civil servants. Well, I think, um, obviously, uh, Simon feels very strongly about it. And we've (laughs) had this sort of slightly Nadine Dory-style rant about all his his former bosses and things post-government. Look, I think... To say, to say it's as simple as that really, I think, risks oversimplifying it, the whole nature of government, the whole nature of what SPADs do within government. I think there's a huge spectrum of different special advisors from, you know, your Dominic Cummings style special advisor at one end to someone who's quite junior and does little more than sort of provide a bit of political input on, on press lines. Um, you know, I think the basic problem you have when you think about government, how departments run, you have department of, say, 10,000 people typically, and then you have a tiny ministerial layer, maybe five ministers on top of that, who are trying to run the whole department of 10,000 people. And just with the, with the complexity and the number of decisions coming across a minister's desk every day, it, it isn't practical, and nor should it be, for a minister to be able to, to deal with every single bit of the minutiae themselves. And I think that's why SPADs are actually 
such an important part of the political system because you know, they, they have the, the time to actually get into policy detail, prepare ministers for meetings, ensure that meetings are more useful from officials and ministers' perspective, help that right decisions are made better. And it's a two-way street because I think a lot of officials actually, you know, there are some exceptions when you get to the very, very senior levels, obviously personal politics and other politics comes into play. But I think if you ask a lot of officials, they say, well, actually, spans are a great route of flagging stuff to ministers, getting stuff on ministers' desks, uh, you know, where they wouldn't feel like they're able to sort of ask the minister directly. Yeah. So I think, you know, to say it's just high politics, uh, you know, people shouting at each other, I think slightly, uh, well, massively oversimplifies the, the role of SPADs and what they actually do in the in the government system. Uh, Jill, um, let's bring you in on, on that then. It sounds like when the system works well, you have the world that Hugh is, is talking about, SPADs, political appointees being, you know, the eyes and ears of ministers in meetings and process they can't be in. Is the problem, because we've seen the sort of relationship has been exploded uh, in the last well few weeks of the COVID inquiry, but possibly the last couple of years as well. Is it the fault of the politicians and their advisors briefing against the civil servants, which has caused this breakdown? Or have civil servants got to shoulder some of the responsibility for, for maybe not always doing what their political masters want? I think one of the things that's happened is that, sort of, you know, compared to when I was in government longer ago, special advisors didn't particularly create a sort of big break in the relationship with civil servants. So I think one of the things that we've seen is that uh, advisors have inserted themselves more in between ministers and civil servants. And sometimes that means that the sort of civil servants don't feel they have anything like the same access that they used to have to ministers and therefore perhaps feel sort of slightly less bought in. But I agree with Hugh. I mean, when you get a good special advisor, they are really, really useful as a way of sort of shortcutting. What you want in a special advisor, you can really speak for their minister, uh, gives you good advice on what the minister will think rather than run their own agenda. That's the worst sort of special advisor. But we have seen, and it's, yeah, I think one of the things is that when there's blame to go around, and we've had um, areas where there's quite a lot of blame to go around recently, then there's been a tendency for both sides to um, be trying to push the blame onto others. And that's been pretty unedifying because mm. you basically want the three elements of this, ministers, special advisors and civil servants, to be playing their yeah. separate and different roles effectively together rather than you know doing pass the parcel with who did what when. But the COVID inquiry obviously is a supreme example of uh, of the blame game in action. And I suppose, is, is it possible, just finally, briefly, both maybe just a yes or no, is it possible to put the genie back into the bottle and go back to the good old days of, of yes, Minister, what do you think here? Yeah, well, I'm not sure I'd necessarily say that they were the good old days. I mean, I think <laughs> if, if, if anything's happened, you know, I think that the inquiry is showing that the mask has slipped. You know, these senior civil servants are human after all. They gossip about their colleagues. They say unprofessional things in chats to each other. And they, they turns out they have political views after they leave government. And I think yeah, it, it's it's we want we want a situation where everyone can have full confidence in uh, yeah, in the advice they're getting, and yeah. that ministers can sort of see that in uh, in confidence. In what, what about you, Jill? Both... Can you put the uh, the genie back in the bottle? Well, I've suggested that actually maybe we need to accept we need a reset in the relationship, um, put more distance between ministers and civil service. Uh, make the civil service take more responsibility, but at the same time give them more abilities not to leak against their ministers, which is unacceptable. To, but actually, when they really think ministers are doing something wrong, formally to raise those concerns at the time rather than wait for a public inquiry. Yeah. So, 
or going on the telly. Uh, Jill. Or going on the telly. <laughs> Jill. Oh, speaking to you, Matt. I oh, know, it's always nice to speak to you, though, Jill. Jill, lovely <laughs> to speak to you. Jill Wetter there, Senior Fellow at the Institute for Government, uh, uh, a long-time civil servant, and Hugh Bennett, a special advisor to Boris Johnson and Liz Truss. Thanks so much for joining us. And that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the Red Box Podcast. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And now head over to How to Win an Election. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.